ahead. Sure, Jack Hamlin, uh, Energy Strong and Summit Engineering. Energy Strong and Summit Engineering, kind of a two-for-one interview here. That's what happens a lot of times when you talk with the experts and leaders in oil and gas. They're also active in the community of industry. So uh, we'll talk about both Summit Engineering and Energy Strong in just a second. But uh, kind of the... Uh, thing that brought us together here is a golf tournament coming around the, the pipe and my understanding is the uh, proceeds are going to go to the nonprofit energy strong so we should probably give a nice plug for the golf tournament let people know a lot of people they they look for things to do on uh you know monday tuesdays and wednesdays during the week so uh mr jack hamlin how you doing today doing awesome jason thanks for uh thanks for the time today and uh yeah the golf tournament is hosted by uh M Prestiza. Um, it's the Denver Midstream Classic, and um, as you mentioned, the proceeds of their uh, tournament revenue uh, will will be donated to the the um, nonprofit arm of the Energy Strong Group to help uh, advocate and educate for the oil and gas industry. And Ju uh, July sixteenth is what we're looking at. Okay, and talk to me about Energy Strong. You've uh, you mentioned your. You've got a role within Energy Strong, so let's talk about the role that you have in Energy Strong and then the organization. Sure. There's, uh, there's four people uh, that we've made a, a board, and uh, four people are kind of officers on that board. Um, and we're, we're running that, uh, that organization to have two components to it. One's going to be a for-profit business that's where we'll be able to raise uh, funding for, for local and regional political candidates, run commercials, and that. And then the other side will be the nonprofit arm, as we discussed, to help um, uh, educate and advocate for the industry. So do things like um, fundraise for, for schools, um, for educational material, um, any sort of nonprofit activity. And then... Um, yeah, we're able to kind of switch back and forth between the two. So there's some pretty stringent rules upon, around what you can do with the monies you get. Uh, one of them being uh, you have to be a, you can't be a nonprofit and support uh, political candidates. And so from our end, with what's going on in Colorado right now, uh, that's an absolute must. Um, we're kind of getting mopped up right now uh, on the political side. Uh, I talked to you back when, when Prop 112 was hitting. And um, that felt like after we got through it, it was a victory. And then because of the way that the elections ended up, uh, Senate Bill 181 hit us like a freight train. And, and there was just a realization within our group that there was no voice for the oil and gas industry here locally. Um, the, the historical methods of, of trying to communicate with the community just wasn't working because it had been shifted that the narrative and the, and the discussion has been shifted mainly on social media and very grassroots. Um, so, so the, we realized we needed a mechanism to, to kind of counter that in the same fashion online, uh, social media driven, and then being able to eliminate a lot of the filtered messaging that the oil and gas industry typically uh, puts out there uh, seemed to be pretty ineffective. So we, we were 
looking at, at the events and the, the town hall meetings and the, the legislative proceedings and realizing that um, not a lot of people understood the political process and when these meetings were happening and uh, we had to get people mobilized. That, that's kind of at its essence what this was about was educating people that were in the oil and gas industry and, and peripheral companies and people who supported it educating them on, on what was going on, when the meetings were happening, live streaming those meetings for those who couldn't attend so they could watch on their computer what was happening, uh, what was being said, the narratives that were being um, pushed. And um, ultimately, I think what all of us realized was uh, it was alarming to hear uh, what a lot of the community thought about our industry. Um, and we had to um, really realized that this isn't what kind of came out of it is not a partisan issue it's trying to be made one but it's really not it's it's around energy independence and how do we get better at um explaining to people what we do and how how safe it is the one thing that the crude life here we've been tracking for a while is the the rise of the environmentalism and we wa you know, we watched it happen in Colorado right before our eyes, and they they had a backup plan, which was uh, SB one eighty one. Is that what it's called? Correct. Yeah, Senate Bill one eighty one. And, and it, to me, it seemed like a Trojan horse type of a situation. To where, um, from the outside looking in, I when when I saw the governor come out, Governor Colorado come out and use the word war on oil and gas and. All of a sudden, you know, pretty soon this this new restrictions, which essentially ends up being a ban on on certain areas because you deal with feet and and public safety and, and that sort of thing. Um, how did that kind of the pol political pol politicalness happen, I guess, you know, because I've been going to Colorado for five years and generally I stay in Fort Collins when I go. Um, I don't mind driving 45 minutes into Denver. I can't deal with Denver's traffic, man. It gets a little t intense for somebody who doesn't live in it day to day. And it's nice, yeah. nice to have horse tooth so close. You can just go and hike if you want at the end of the day type of a thing. Um, but in the breakfast bars in the morning, you know, I'd be talking to strangers and they'd look over their shoulder before they said they worked in the oil and gas industry. And that was weird to me because I always thought Colorado embraced the oil and gas industry. So I watched the evolution happen over the course of like five years. And um, talk to me from your perspective how that evolution kind of happened. Yeah, so the evolution was, was um, it was quick. So I completely agree with you where people kind of have, have, some people have started to look over their shoulder before they, they discuss uh, what they do in oil and gas. Um, a large amount of us, including myself, don't. We're very proud of what we do. And having seen it and been boots on the ground in the industry for 11 years, um, very educated on what goes on. And so there's, when I look at it, uh, it's really interesting. That, so you've got the same groups that all want the same thing is what it boils down to. So uh, we consider ourselves environmentalists. When you look at like air quality's never been cleaner. Um, that's a fact. Ever since the EPA was instituted, uh, our air has never been cleaner as it is today. That's because of natural gas consumption, um, converting old coal plants, converting uh, 
other infrastructure to, to take clean domestic natural gas. The, the evolution of this, it, it, it really, it rocked our industry. And, and that is what created energy. Strong. And uh, that's why I think there's been such a, um, uh, people have kind of clamored to that. Uh, we, we've got over 15,000 members on social media uh, on, on a group that was effectively started, a, you know, during Prop 112, just six, six or seven months ago. Um, so, the, so the evolution was, uh, when you look at how Senate Bill 181 happened and, and how we got where we are today in such a short period of time, yeah, Prop 112 came through. That was all the focus. We fought that. The state spoke. I mean, it was it was beat by a very sound margin that they don't want those types of restrictions on the oil and gas industry because it is uh, an important piece of not only the economy and jobs and all that, but energy prices and uh, combating uh, energy poverty and and. Even our, our biggest detractors, they get they, they get in the shower every morning on you know using a hot water heater, turn on their AC or furnace, get in a car that's powered by fossil fuels and made by fossil fuels, and so our perspective was, you know we we know we're we're doing a good thing. It is virtuous. Fossil fuels are virtuous. Uh, that's why people that you know come and uh, argue against fossil fuels, they still use the product every day. It's the realization there is how do we communicate and, and prepare better? So during Prop 112, we're looking at that. That gets beat. And out of the blue, for a lot of people, some people may have known about it, but out of the blue, I didn't really understand how government worked, to be honest with you, at a, at a regional and state level. Didn't realize that these types of laws could be passed without a vote or being put onto a ballot. That's partly my own uh, ignorance there, but a lot of people have that. They're not engaged in day-to-day -day politics and the the town hall meetings and the meetings and um, uh, state legislative meetings and that. And so uh, as these things started to unravel, we realized, you know, that, yeah, we beat Prop 112 and Senate Bill 181 came through, and that is a much larger threat to our industry and our way of life. Um so the evolution was so fast, we needed an agile group of people that would show up and weren't afraid to speak a message that wasn't filtered, that was just, this is the story. And my particular story is that I, I own an, and operate an engineering company that our whole purpose is to make sure that the facilities and the pipeline systems that we design are the absolute safest and environmentally friendly facilities and pipelines on the planet. And that's not an exaggeration. Colorado sets a precedent for the entire globe on d developing oil and gas facilities and resources the, the best way. And there's no other way to put it. We are the gold standard for the entire world. It's the stuff we build is extremely safe. Uh, it's got very low footprint. Uh, it's it's evolving. The, the amount of technology that's deployed on these facilities and, and drilling programs and infrastructure, it's unparalleled. Um, and what I've realized is that it's the education piece. Again, going to these, these town hall meetings and speaking in front of the, the state legislature, I want to engage the people that think we're evil or that we're not doing good things and understand their perspective 
so that we can communicate to them in something that makes sense instead of drawing a battle line and everybody lobbing, you know, artillery at each other. That's not going to work here. And today it's, you know, Colorado's unique. We've got communities. You've got you've got communities on top of existing and newfound oil and gas reserves and they're all competing with um you know industry and environmentalism so you've got like this perfect storm of of things happening at like this epicenter of one of the largest producing basins in the country and so you've got uh you've got people who are um who have oil and gas development in their in their communities and they uh we're, oil and gas is not doing a good job at communicating what and how they're doing things, in my opinion. And so that's that's really the problem we need to solve. That's uh, actually the topic I spoke on at the Energy Expo was uh, the paradigm shift that's happened, essentially. And I've got this I've got this written down for three more questions later. But as long as you bring it up, um, one of the my, my critiques has been that the there's been a paradigm shift, and this is no secret. You know, I, I drop names now. John Gibson from One Oak, Harold Hamm from Continental Resource, James Volker from Whiting uh, Resources, Lee Tillman from Marathon Oil. These people have all been on our program, and they've all said there's been a paradigm shift in the way that oil and gas is done. Hydraulic fracturing, horizontal drilling has created a, a paradigm shift. And when you step back and when you think about it, okay, that's true from – you know, a roughneck standpoint, they're not slinging chains anymore like they were in the old days. From an engineering standpoint, the thing that you said earlier about the cleanest air in the history of the world is true. And the United States is the one who's actually bringing the regulations over to other countries. So not only is it true in the United States, we're actually cleaning the air because of the fossil fuel regulations that we've learned from over the past. Um, and so when, when you kind of keep, I'm sorry, were you going to jump in there? On that? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, yes, yeah, so I'm very passionate about it. So I, I was born in 1978, right? So I'm, I'm a child of up through the eighties and nineties. When I was growing up, there was in Denver, there was a brown cloud over the city. We had leaded fuel. There was leaded paint. There was aerosol problems. Uh, I watched dirt. It, it, Dirty air became clean. Even though our population has more than quadrupled, the air has gotten cleaner. So think about that. Our population's exploding, and our air is actually getting cleaner. And the same thing holds true with oil and gas production. These, these, the thing that's that's never talked about in any of these meetings is just how technologically advanced oil and gas drilling has become. With less of a footprint, with uh, dr uh, drilling rigs become much more efficient. So you need less of them to do more. The impact on designing multi-well pad facilities has been unbelievable. So you're taking, you're, you're, you're drilling and, and putting way more wells in a compact area and then horizontally drilling those out. And so your footprint's less, your emissions are less. So as, as drilling uh, in our state has also uh, grown exponentially, I think four or five times in the, in the last 20 years, the emissions from oil and gas have gone down 50 percent. So when, when, when you look at what you're talking about here is that the the technological innovations are actually, you know, they, they 
they're like putting a guy on the moon, basically, because I grew up around the same time you did, and there was a book, Harry the Dirty Dog, and Harry went out and he got dirty in the coal mines, he got dirty in the oil and gas chutes, and he was just, you know, it, it basically every day you were told coal and oil and gas are dirty. And then I remember the first time going to Pittsburgh, I thought, this is a gorgeous city. Wow, I, this is not dirty. This isn't like I, I thought it would be and, and everything else. So it to me, the, getting back to the paradigm shift, you know, okay, the way that we drill, we had to paradigm shift. Go to the human resources department. Go to the engineering firms. Do you think big data has changed how they do business? Absolutely. So the paradigm shift happened there too. I think it's time, and this is what I spoke about, that the, the way that oil and gas approaches public relations and marketing and everything else needs a paradigm shift as well. Because when you, when, when you look at what we've done over the last 10 years, we have made more money as an industry with $100 oil than any other 10-year period in the history of oil and gas. And when you look at the body of work that's already been done, and this was a hard pill for us to swallow at the conference, I, I had to change my business three years ago, and, I, and we can get into that too. But when we look at the 10 years of the body of work that's been done with the most money we've ever made and the most money we've ever spent as an industry, we just got banned in Colorado. Oregon passed the same thing through their Senate. Wyoming did some ban on the BLM land. We have two presidential candidates, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, actively as part of their platform having a public discussion about banning fossil fuels and the new green deal puts us out of business in 10 years. So we yeah. have, it's, it's time to really rethink how we do things. And you're, 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 you're tugging at every heartstring that I've got. I'm very passionate about this oh, industry. It's the last bastion for capitalism, man. Without this, I, 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 I mean, that's how dire I'm trying to hang on to oil and gas. I truly believe it's the last bastion for capitalism. If you want to get really deep with me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, Jason, going back to, I tell you how I grew up, every presidential and regional candidate politically ran on energy independence. That's how important it was. We, we were going to war over this resource within my lifetime. And I'm, I'm 41 years old. It ain't that, it's not that long ago. And in the last five years, there's been such a monumental shift from, okay, we've, we've achieved energy independence for the most part, we've achieved that energy independence. And now this shift is to um, not want it or want to want to use it. It's it's so abstract. Um, the industry very clearly has a hard time responding to that. And when I talk about filtered messaging earlier, that will not work here. And it's not working. It It's a waste of money, in my opinion, to try and filter your messaging such that tries not to offend or, or be too strong on a message one way or the other. We have a great story to tell in oil and gas. And the people that work in this industry believe that. And the people that use our products every day, they believe that somewhere or they would not use it. I truly believe that. And so I think it's, it's time, as you said, taking the gloves off is the wrong language, but it's time to just, Tell our story and stand our ground and really get on the offensive of here's here's why this product is so great and really drill down into 
it's not about jobs. It's not about revenue for a lot of people. It's about how will this impact my daily life? And what is this product? How does this product get to my gas nozzle, my gas meter at my house, my propane tank? How does that get here? That, that message, we need to engage people at a grassroots level and explain to them what the, the narrative that's being said, like that, that book you just said about the dirty dog, it's the same thing. The stuff that I'm hearing in testimony at the Capitol building and in town halls is 100% incorrect. There is nothing, virtually everything that we're combating right now is anecdotal data, right? Some Somebody's opinion, they've got a headache, they get nosebleeds. Oh, you're dealing with emotion. Good luck. You're dealing with pure Good luck. emotion. Good luck. You're, you're, you're well, not you're not going to beat emotion because you're dealing with somebody's actual experience, which is their emotion. And it doesn't matter if it's any fact behind it. Don't let hey, don't let facts get in the way of things. That's that's not how this is not how I, I mean. Those poor guys up at Meridian, up up in Meridian, they're they're building the cleanest refinery in the planet, right? Um, and we, we've had, we've had their engineering firms on talking about the, you know, the bends and pipes and explaining, you know, the different things that are being done to make this thing clean and the emissions that are going to be down, yada, yada. They had 10,000, um, emails sent to the state against them, right? Because they're a refinery. 97% of them were identical. That's, that's the new age of what's going on here is that the, the, templates are being done and they have like an orchestration behind them that there's lots that, of coordination yeah and and essentially what it's designed to do is it's it's designed to hemorrhage people out it's designed to ha hemorrhage them out and bleed them out and maybe, maybe they'll go out of business or or something along those lines i truly believe that's what it is are you familiar well, yeah. with the term uh are you familiar with the term uh what was it boulder democrat um yeah i mean i've, I've heard that term thrown around and that's like kind of, you know, it's an extreme environmentalist is, is kind of the way I gathered from it. And yet they have a lot of control in the government. Is that, is that? Yeah, I mean, in Colorado, in Colorado, the. Um, it, yeah, it was used in Colorado. They said basically that the, you know, Boulder Democrats got control of the, the, you know, government. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a handful of them from Boulder that are in, in key positions, including the governor of the state and, um, uh, Okay. Speaker and the Speaker of the House, and and they've um, they're great great at coordination and orchestration of these things, and that's where the narrative has been. Uh, our industry needs to combat that again. Going back, we do a great thing. I opened, I penned a letter to the Denver Post, got got picked up and published, and and that letter was opening my, the doors of our engineering company, our our business, my my business, and the oil and gas industry. It is grounded in science and technology. There is more science and technology deployed day to day than any other industry that I can think of outside of aerospace. And I open the doors to, to the entire community, people that, that want to just learn more, people that are anti-fossil fuels, so to speak, come into our office, talk to some of our engineers that are educated right in Boulder, CU Boulder, Colorado School of Mines in Golden. We have local talent here is among the best in the world. Why not use them to solve this problem instead of legislation that isn't voted on by people, by, by, by the people nothing, none of this was put on a ballot. And that that's our biggest, 
I think that's our biggest uh, challenge here is that um, we need to engage those people to explain what is going on and how it's being done and just how safe it is. Our engineering company makes sure of it. The engineering companies in Denver, they all make sure of it. They have the best engineers in the world. Some of the best engineers in the world look over these facilities, soup to nuts, top um, and make sure that every piece and part of that infrastructure meets or exceeds all federal, state, and local standards. The the producers and the midstream operators that we deal with, they are stewards of the land. And I get chuckles when I've said that before, but it's the absolute truth. Anytime we're engaged with any client, it's safety first, and every, everyone's got stop work authority. Their plants are and, and, and facilities are so clean you could eat off the floor. They're, they're built to be intrinsically safe. They spend millions of dollars engineering facilities to make sure that they're safe, not only from an operation standpoint, but from a standpoint of thinking of, of all the employees in the facility and the community around the facility, making sure that uh, day-to-day operations are completely safe. So it, it's, it's go, going back to the letter I penned. I penned this letter got picked up we've we've opened the doors we we want to engage with the, with the detractors and the community hey help us tell us what you think so we can design a better facility what don't you like about it is it zero emissions great we're working on zero emissions facilities we design zero emissions facilities for our clients we can do that it's it's just a matter of uh our our entire uh country right now it's outside of even oil and gas feels like it's if you don't understand it, if you don't like it, ban it. Not in my backyard mentality. Instead of a, um, you know, come together and let's solve this problem using uh, our talent here in the states. Let's let's use our, our local talents to solve these problems. Instead, it feels like um, kind of the the trendy thing to do is just if you don't like it, ban it. Well, that's where, you know, we've we've been talking about this for a while, about how ridiculous. In fact, that's why the crude life went non-political was because everything was so polarizing. You couldn't even get a, uh, you know, a Colorado Rockies score on ESPN without them telling you how to feel about the national anthem. It's like, dude, I'm just trying to get some scores. And you guys are doing a half hour debate on the national anthem. And this is Sports Center. OK. And then he clicked the channel. Oh, it's the Kardashians. So it's either Kardashians or extreme polarization. There was like nothing in the middle. And so well, we, found, we found a great little market for people who actually kind of, you know, wanted just some, some civil discourse and, and didn't get into the bombastic, sensational nature of, of, of the media. And, and anyway, I, I, kind of one of the reasons I brought that up was because, um, you know, I, I honestly think what's going on here is really problematic. And the way that they're able to bring it to a platform like they have um, to get uh, in the national deal to where we're no longer trying to ban straws anymore. Let's just ban the whole industry. That's where it's getting crazy because we don't need to get into the PVC pipes and, you know, and the amount of gas and just the percentage of things that is petroleum products that operate our lives because we all know that. Um, we've been talking about this on our pro- program for probably two years. We've issued a challenge to any environmental group that we would gladly do a civilized debate with them why the energy industry is the leader 
in saving the earth and the leader in the environmental movement. And we're not kidding. I mean, that's that's the Orwellian world we live in right now to where they're trying to the average environmentalist right now is a texting, trolling, curing, drinking, point the finger at environmentalists. They're not actually doing much to be a part of the solution. They're actually causing more problems because cell phones are the number one pollutant on the planet. And between the, the mining of them, be, behind the data centers, and the construction and manufacturing and distribution of them, there's, there's not even close second. And so um, to me, I liked what you said earlier about being progressive. I, I actually think it's time for oil and gas to become progressive and take control of the narrative again. And, you well, know, enter, enter energy strong. And that's, I mean, that's exactly what um, the mission is. And it's, it's uh, very clearly, and we want to make it um, just crystal clear that it's a nonpartisan group. We're not uh, the business that I run and operate. It's got, it's, it's a very diverse group of people. There's, there's Republicans, Democrats, unaffiliated, anything else you could think of that we employ them. And I love that. That diversity gives us our strength. Energy strong. Oil and gas should not be a politicized argument. It should not be partisan. That was some. That was most of our testimony. Uh, the energy strong testimony that we gave during Senate Bill 181 here proceedings was watching this bizarre kind of procedure unfold and it being voted on along party lines and through the whole process. Not one single person crossed a party line and changed their vote. And I thought, all these hundreds of hours of testimony showing how safe the industry is, how uh, how well the, the a lot of communities receive it. If you look at Weld County, people are flocking there because of oil and gas development, not in spite of it. And it's uh, our, our all of our testimony was was around that. Just just sh shouldn't should not be the, this partisan issue. We should be engaging each other to solve these problems. And if it's a uh, aesthetic issue, if it's a truly health, uh, if it's a true health and safety issue, let's figure out what that issue is and we can solve that. And I believe we can solve that through engineering and, and discourse, not moratoriums and banning. And that's my biggest, you know, that that's at the heart and soul of energy strong. That's what we want. We want, we want to engage people that want to learn more, people that don't like us, people that are undereducated or miseducated about the industry. And we want to do it in a way that, that where we do stand our ground. Yes, we want we want to understand where people are coming from, even people in Boulder, even the Boulder Democrats. I, I'm not going to lose a friend over their political affi affiliation. I want to understand where they're coming from and why, why do they – why are they have such a, long, uh, a, a loud volume against the industry, but they use our products every day? Why is that? I mean, it's it's a head scratching uh, paradox. I cannot figure out, but I really want to, and the group that we have at Energy Strong really wants to. It's interesting uh, listening to your story because you know one of the things that I've been saying now for probably about three months um, is. I've done government affairs for 20, 25 years in the media. And one of the things I, I can I can say pretty, pretty confidently is that the oil and gas industry for probably the last 20 years has invested more and more and more into government relations. And that really became part of their PR strategy. 
And there was a time when that really was useful and beneficial, especially on the local level. But over the past, I would say, five to eight years, a lot of the politicians, that polarization happened to where everything became a party line. And, they, and oil and gas somehow got lumped in with a political party. And the, the light switch never should be. The, the gas in your car should never be a political thing at all. And, and you know that. I know that. Everybody knows that deep in their heart. And so when you kind of look at, you know, the, the politicians really at the end of the day kind of became the oil company's PR people. What, what, what do you make of that statement and observation I just made? Uh, it's frustrating. I mean, I, so, I mean, is it, is there, is there any credibility to that? Do you think, or any accuracy? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. If you look at it, it's, um, how could something as complex as, as energy independence and commodities that you consume on a daily basis, how on earth could that be a partisan issue? Right. So you've got, you've got politicians towing a narrative or, or, a, 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 a way of discourse that people just buy into, and that's that's a frustrating part for me. And that I, I'm an unaffiliated voter. I, I'm too fluid in, in so many things that I can't I can't wrap my head around that. So that's where it gets frustrating. What I look at is, man, the, the American consumer, the the average American citizen. It seems like the the uh, the short term memory. Uh, it's just not there when it comes to day-to-day life. I, I remember back four or five years ago when gasoline got to like $4.30 a gallon or something like that, and it was on the verge of Mad Max out here. I mean, they were talking about repealing the gas tax to help lower-income families, and at the end of the day, that's who this impacts, right? I grew up in, in a fairly poor household. Uh, I grew up with a, with a single mom that had to, had to make – choices on which bills to pay do we pay the gas bill or do we put gasoline in the car and if gasoline was expensive uh we walked to school i mean these were impacts that i had in my life and when i look at my uh friends and people in my community um these if, if as you ban things and put moratoriums and we lose this just unbelievable jewel of energy independence if we lose that and just throw that away it's consumers it's every citizen in this country that gets impacted we're we're not going to stop using fossil fuels anytime soon we just become beholden to the same uh regimes that caused us to get the energy dependence in the independence in the first place so then we're going back to to being hostage to uh, a foreign nation to supply us our energy it's it's a strange thing to understand to me that People that anyone, regardless of political affiliation, wants to throw away and squander such an unbelievable accomplishment. I, I think we live in such a crazy time right now because, you know, I'm in the media and I, I've got to call the media out, too, and say just the simple fact that they would give somebody like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren airtime now after they would come out and say, I'm going to ban fracking as part of my platform. To me, that, that's, that, that, if you actually believe 
and I'm not being political. This is the, this is the problem with the with, with what's happened with oil and gas and energy. It's political, so you got to like put a disclaimer in there. But at the end of the day, if if you really believe you, somebody's going to ban fossil fuels, that is a legitimate fringe candidate. That is that is actual craziness because it would it would send the uh, society back so far, and. Um, the media is, is gotten really lazy on it, too, because they, they should be calling these guys out and they should be doing some things like that. And they don't. You know, they just they pander into it and get the low hanging fruit, just like the politicians have done, too. So it's really kind of been a one two punch. And that's one of the reasons we, we changed ours. And, you know, and at that conference, I said it doesn't mean we're going to make, make things new overnight, but at least it's a step in the right direction. It's being proactive, you know, for a lot of our on our radio programs, we use local uh, uh, artists, local musicians for our bumper music. And now we've got musicians promoting oil and gas instead of protesting against it. And again, it's not going to change the industry overnight, but at least it's a step in the right direction. And so talk to me a little bit about how you got, I mean, it's hard to say you're proactive because, you know, it's, it's, you got to go out and do things and you got to set the narrative and you got to take control again. And that takes time. You know what I mean? So um, are you guys, are you currently planning anything proactive? What's kind of some steps to become proactive? Because it's easier said than done. And I know you mentioned that, you, you know, that's kind of one of your missions and goals is to get Colorado strong, to be proactive again. I'll give you an example. One of the things that we are being proactive on, and this goes against probably the industry, but uh, we actually use the word high, uh, horizontal flushing. We don't use horizontal fracking and fracturing anymore because fracking is a really bad word. It has a negative connotation to it. And uh, you fracture a bone, you fracture a relationship. There's a fracture in the dam. So we just started using horizontal flushing, especially when talking to children, especially when talking to kids. We use horizontal yeah. flushing. And the, the yeah. kids smile because they flush a toilet every day. That's where the poopy goes, man fracturing man you got to go to the hospital it's it's a it's a different mindset so you know our environmental champ johnny green who loves uh, oil and gas that's what he was down in minnesota cleaning lakes with a blue state promoting oil and gas getting pictures part of the fourth of july parade in Earhart, minnesota with minneapolis people the third most liberal state i just looked online you know um so we're doing that type of thing, you know, trying to be a little bit proactive with, you know, some little steps. Um, what, what kind of discussions are you guys have? And I, I have no idea if you guys are, like I said, in the midst of anything or what, but just talk yeah. to me about the proactive nature of things. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're in the, in the midst of several things. So a lot of it is again, um, uh, broadcasting out to our, to our followers on social media and our, and our, uh, email lists on, upcoming events and mobilizing people to those events, getting those chairs filled with people that would otherwise not want to be there, not even know about the meeting. So we're, we're fighting, um, we're fighting back, uh, on the front level uh, of we're, we're getting people to, to get there. That's, that's the first thing, right? And then you're trying to mobilize right now. So, so we're mobilizing, but we're also Getting, getting some messaging out there. So our, a big push for us right now is giving people the talking points of within the industry, the, the good things, the how much emissions have gone down, how much, uh, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, how, how drilling's increased, but the footprint and the actual emissions have gone down, how 
natural gas has transformed our entire, uh, the way we, we generate power and the emissions decrease from it, the, the potential there to decrease emissions worldwide. So, so we're giving people uh, the tools to do that. We're um, hosting our own happy hours and, and getting people from, uh, the mission of, of Energy Strong is to unite the oil and gas industry and everybody if, if you touch a molecule of hydrocarbons, we want we want you there. We don't care if you're downhole, uh, engineering, construction, an operator, whatever you are. If you're in the industry, if you if you if you're in trucking, recruiting, whatever it is, we want you there, and we want to hear your story and, and the impact. Uh, one of the things that we did proactively was a tip the bill campaign. I'm not sure if you saw that or not, but uh, th- that went pretty viral where we. You know, if you ha- if you went out to dinner with your family and it was sixty dollars, you tipped sixty dollars and you put on there paid for by oil and Colorado Oil and Gas, Energy Strong Colorado, trying to raise awareness to hey, this our industry has a very big impact in this state beyond the, the revenue that's generated by the the oil and gas producers, right? Those are the numbers that the the proponents of the bill they used. Oh, Colorado's you know. Uh, the oil and gas industry supports 29,000 jobs or something like that in Colorado. The real number is way more than that. It's just companies like mine, an engineering company of 110 people, our SIT code doesn't correlate with oil and gas. It's under engineering. They don't count that as an oil and gas job, even though 100% of my revenue comes from oil and gas. So the tip the bill movement was huge. Uh, The happy hours are great. Getting people together, trying to get our narrative going, uh, which to me, narrative seems seems like a deception. So I don't even want to use that word. It's it's more of a let's let's get our messaging out there, and so everybody understands the good. And we all um, are giving just we're not using anecdotal data. We're using empirical data. These are the facts, and this is why it's good. And then. Um, Beyond that, yeah, we're looking at backing um, and helping fundraise for, for local uh, political candidates here that are oil and gas friendly. So so we've got kind of a multi-prong approach at this point, um, you know, to, to not only counter what's going on, but get get ourselves in, in get footing to get on the offensive a little bit. And, and one of the big components we're also doing is uh, – if you've gone to the, the Energy Strong website, www.energystrong.com, but there's there's a bunch of merchandise on there that you can purchase, hats and shirts and uh, stuff like that that uh, is emblazoned with Energy Strong, Colorado, uh, Energy Strong Colorado, and there's several other states. Those articles of clothing, those hats, are good discussion starters, both pro and against. I mean, I've worn it around... And people say, oh, great, where, where do you work? Oh, I work for so-and-so, and um, we have a great discussion. And then other people kind of look at you sideways and you get into a discussion with them, and, and it's uh, a very prag- – you know, it, what's interesting is when you get people outside of a group or some sort of, like, mass hysteria type of deal where it's, uh, like, down at the Capitol where it's, like, a big side, they call them, you know, for and against. When you get them one-on-one and you can have a, a lucid discussion – it's positive both ways. I get to understand their perspective and they get to understand some facts about the oil and gas industry. So the merchandise that we're selling, the proceeds roll right back into it. We're not, you know, we don't make any money on that stuff. That goes right back into new logo development, new merchandise development. And, and the, the, the sole reason around that is to get 
Colorado oil and gas visibility as as far as we can get it, right? And so, yeah, the hats look cool. The, the logo development, it, it incorporates pieces of every state. Um, and uh, that's been really successful. Um, so, yeah, those are the kind of things we're doing um, as an energy strong group. And uh, really, I, I don't see it's been that's been kind of the real frustrating part jason is that um our industry in colorado it seems like they're on the defensive kind of waiting for every wait for the dust to settle in the next election cycle meanwhile you've got you know tens of thousands of people that could be um a consequence to inaction if we don't do something um you know, all of, this, all of all of this stuff funnels back into we know that the industry that we're in and the and the jobs that we do are virtuous, that they create prosperity for people, that they save lives. They don't they don't ruin lives. The health and safety component here. Here's a good perspective for you. Right. So. As we're going through Senate Bill 181 and they're talking, you know, the the. the the sponsors of the bill are talking about health and safety and health and safety and environment. The environment will kill you. Okay. The environment is not this nice, friendly, stable thing. It's you'll freeze to death. You'll, you'll die of thirst. Oil and gas has brought all those things to where we're able to have heat and AC, clean water, clean air. What was really interesting during Senate bill 181 is, is during the proceedings, a blizzard came through Colorado Right. It's almost it was almost you couldn't couldn't write a script any better, in my opinion. So they're talking about health and safety and then a blizzard hits. And I'm thinking, thank God I've got oil and gas. I've got a natural gas pipeline coming to my house where I can turn on the on the fireplace in the furnace. And if I had solar panels on my roof, they'd be covered in two feet of snow and I'd freeze to death. I mean, that that's where I was at in, in my head. And, and I thought. It, it was kind of a, a light bulb went off and it wasn't the oil and gas. Uh, it creates a safe environment. You're able to get out of the heat. You're able to get out of the cold. You're able to um, have clean water in your house and, and, and to, to uh, uh, keep your family safe. You're able to get into a, a car or a, on a bus or onto a motorcycle or whatever and drive to the hospital if you're sick. And that hospital runs on a grid that is the majority of it comes from fossil fuels. So when you look at it holistically, it's a no brainer. It, it might feel good to some people to say fossil fuels are bad and they lump all these coal and natural gas and oil and everything else into one big bucket. But it is not the right thing to do. Oil and gas saves lives. It creates a wonderful world for everybody to get in an airplane, go see another culture, to uh, heat your home, to uh, turn on your tap and, and have clean water. All of that stuff comes from fossil fuels. Whether you like it or not, that's what it is. And at the, at the end of the day, the cool thing about the, the, the group at Energy Strong, we're not anti-renewables. We're not anti-anything. We're pro-oil and gas, but... There's nobody here suppressing solar technology or anything else. If you're if you believe in solar and wind, go use it. 
great. Better on you. The pro, the, the, the the real interesting uh, paradigm I'm faced with is the people that uh, have approached us and, and been kind of against our industry use it every day. And I go back to it all the time, but I think how, it's it's not my backyard thinking, which is just a, a very elitist viewpoint that I don't I, I can't wrap my head around. I'm, I'm trying to, but hey, if if you don't like our products. This is a simple supply and demand thing. We're not we're not producing oil and gas to not be used. It's because it gets consumed, we produce it. If if somebody thinks that renewables are virtuous, hey, you don't you shouldn't need the government to force you to use those things and other people to use those things. Let the market do its thing. When you say the last bastion of capitalism, absolutely. It's basic supply and demand economics here. If if renewables were virtuous, and and safer and cleaner everyone would use them but they're not they're not reliable did you here's an interesting statistic for you so you talk about oil and gas is one of the safest as you probably know and the listeners know it's one of the safest industries on the planet right so both from a internal and external perspective and what i mean by that is it's safe for all the employees that work in it whether you're in a plant or in a pipeline or in an office it's one of the safest industries on the planet. And externally, when you look at any other industrial operation, it's extremely safe. So when I was doing, uh, when I was testifying in, in front of uh, the state um, representatives here, you know, solar panels, I, I found this study in California where it showed there was about 50 deaths per 1.5 million roof installs of solar. I'll say that again, 50 deaths for every 1.5 million roof installs. Why is that? That's because roofing is very unsafe, and that's where these solar panels go. If 50 people died for every 1.5 million cubic feet of natural gas produced, our industry, it would be um, mass hysteria. But So on, on I, that note, let me, let me ask you this question. Jack Hamlin with a summit engineer, and I'm looking at the clock, so we're going to be winding down here next – 10 minutes or so, but as long as we got down this path, um, one of the conversations we're having on our program is what would a world look like if take solar and wind who have received subsidies for 40 years and really a lot of subsidies for 20 years and they had their own benchmarks. We were supposed to all be able to have solar panels for our, our houses and cities were supposed to have um, wind turbines to power power their their cities and, and rural America as well. And these were all supposed to be affordable. Okay, that that was the benchmarks put out by the industry, not by anybody else. The industry put those benchmarks out. Okay, we gave them millions and billions and kajillions of dollars to do this. Now, what would happen if, say, for the next oh five years, we took the the subsidy 100 percent of the subsidies that have gone to wind and solar you've had 40 years man too bad and put it to natural gas think about what would happen to the flaring and the permian and the bakken alone okay just from that perspective because in north dakota the oil and gas companies pay i believe it's 11 and a half percent extraction and production tax one of the highest in the nation 
And they also have fees they got to pay. They're regulated uh, as well. And then they always make sure that the churches have enough money for the bake sale. And they always make sure the little league team has enough for the, for the ball jerseys and et cetera. Sometimes they just don't have enough for the research and development. So imagine if they, those, some, you know, these crazy guys that are sleeping on, these are people you work with. I would imagine if the, if, if you're in engineering, you know what I'm talking about? These natural gas, smart, clever, clever capitalists that are investing all of their fortune, all their family's money to try and solve a problem that is really actually probably solvable. Do, do you know what I mean by that? What, 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 would, what would a world look like if we shifted those subsidies uh, to natural gas? You'd have the cleanest environment, uh, way cleaner than, than any renewable power. Natural gas is extremely clean. And, and that's, that's one of the biggest... Uh, it's one of the biggest narratives that I think the industry has an opportunity to overcome, which is every single uh, citizen in Denver, uh, with a very, with a, of course, including a very small population that's not hooked up to a uh, natural gas distribution system, but virtually every home has a natural gas pipeline coming to it, and you burn natural gas inside your house in a fireplace and a furnace. Uh, the, if we were to, instead of flare this precious resource if we it's one of the things that drives me nuts the most about our industry but but we're a little bit beholden because of, of federal rules but if we we're able to capture all that natural gas and export it around the globe to places like china and india and even our, in our own country into new england where they're using you know they've got these uh, moratoriums on on any sort of natural gas development so they burn heating oil instead or they import um LNG from Russia. I mean, these are these are to, to America, right? It's just unbelievable. If you're export all of our natural gas, we are sitting on a world class resource that the world envies. The rest of the world envies us. There's still a, a billions of people that don't even have basic electricity, access to electricity. We have all this natural gas. We've got an excess amount. You've got negative pricing on takeaway in the Permian because there's so much natural gas. If you were to invest that money into natural gas infrastructure and export terminals, you would drive down emissions something like 90% globally. I don't have the actual statistic on me, but we'll have that on the next discussion. I'll follow up with you in an email. There's, it, it would be unprecedented. And, and the beauty of, of, of something like natural gas is it's reliable, it's dependable, it's abundant, and it's cheap. And it's clean. It's 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 almost a perfect fuel for for uh, humanity for 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 energy. That's why we use it every single day. But it's it's again. I go back to it's so clean. You burn it in your own house with your family inside your house. It's that clean. You burn you burn uh, ethane. It's it, it's nothing left hardly. It's it's unbelievable how clean it is. And it's been lumped in to be as uh, be like coal or uh, oil. It's there's really a shift that needs to happen there for people to embrace domestic American natural gas. We've been using it for uh, decades and and we have hundreds of years of supply left. I mean, I look at it from just a market standpoint to where, you know, subsidies shouldn't direct a market. But if we're already doing subsidies one way and we shift them to another, let's take a look at what's going to happen here. OK, so some new capitalists are going to get some money, probably some energy companies as well. All right. What happens from there? 
oh, we might come up with some new super plastic that, you know, everybody can now have a pool in their backyard for under two grand. You know, I mean, who knows? We, we have no idea what could happen. But here's what would happen, at least in North Dakota, and I believe in some other places, local mineral owners would receive royalties now. Because in North Dakota, they don't get paid for the ones that get flared. And all of a sudden now, you would have a corporate subsidy, you'd have a capitalism subsidy for a small business owner, and then you'd even get a local stimulus out of it. So the cafes and the Hanks Hardware and all these guys would all of a sudden, you know, get a little bit of a boost in the economy because some local mineral owners got a boost in their, in their monthly royalty checks instead of having the stuff flared out. Do you know what I mean by that? To where it would—it just seems like it would be such a, a smart I'll, I'll move. I'll take the one better. I mean, it's—you it, take the capitalists out of it. You take take all of that out of it and go back to the consumer. The the industry, our industry, is driven by demand. Period. The end. Right. So so uh, the the capitalists and the business people and and the engineers and and everybody else they came together and they found a way compete on a global level with Saudi Arabia, with the Middle East, and we're able now to produce oil and gas economically at at prices that people would have thought were impossible five or ten years ago. But you take all the capitalists, all that out of it, and look at the consumer. If I go back, I go back to this. If if a consumer is anti-fossil fuels, Great. Stop using our products. Stop using our products and the problem will solve itself. We do not need government intervention to force people to use a product that a small elite group of people feel is virtuous. And that's where where we're at. Um, we, we should not need government intervention. So kind of subverting the will of the people, not taking it to vote, but through their majority, uh, their party majority in the state force a measure onto the entire state forcing them to use an electric car to use renewable energy i don't want renewable energy i don't want an electric car uh that's what it boils down to if somebody does and the masses decide that fine but that's not what's happening here you've got government forcing people um and forcing fossil fuels out for something that people don't want I, I it's that simple. If they wanted it, if they wanted it, it would win, right? I mean, supply and demand. Again, going back to basic economics, if if people wanted renewables, they would have renewables, and and oil and gas would lose. Or it just spite, yeah, I mean, of, in spite of all those subsidies, in spite of forty years of development, there's there hasn't been tremendous gains in in powered uh, generation. It's a backup system. It's it's. Uh, well, even even that's a little bit Orwellian too, because the word renewable, you know, they don't include hydro and they don't include nuclear, which are renewable. And I think it's uh, Representative James Cook, um, minority leader in Colorado, he pointed that out to me, that really this renewable thing actually should be called preferred energy, because again, hydro is renewable, so is nu- nuclear, and they're not included in this new thing. And the other thing needs to be pointed out too is. Um, what happened in Germany, there is a test market for this. And Germany's energy bills went up four to five times what they started out to be. And they just had to fire up the coal plants last week. I'm sorry, last month, because 
it can't handle it. The renewables just can't do it. And Germany's not a big, you know, I mean, like it's the size of North Dakota, maybe North Dakota and part of South Dakota. Geographically speaking, Germany is not a large company, a country compared to the United States. So, you know, and, and really solar, what have they done? They've been able to give us technology that's affordable to charge our cell phones, you know, to go camping. Uh, but they don't have a car. They don't have solar panels that can, you know, generate a positive gain on houses yet. Well, the the biggest that. thing there is just unreliable. You can't depend on solar. No. There's no way to store that energy. What if the sun's not shining? What if, what do we do in Colorado in the wintertime? We get a lot of snow here. Yeah. And you got to clean them. What do we what do we do if there's snow on a roof where the solar panels are? And uh, um, beyond that, though, beyond that, Jason, it goes back to energy strong. Me personally, a lot of the people that I know that are in the industry, no one is actively anti-renewables, right? So that's the big differentiator. I don't want a law forcing people to use fossil fuels. I don't want a law on the books forcing people to, to use renewables. I want people to decide what they want to use and let the market decide. And that's that's where our, our biggest kind of, with with the energy strong thing and all that. It's it's tough to watch, and it's and in my opinion, it's it's completely immoral and unethical to to be forcing people to use a product that they feel is virtuous. But when you actually boil it down and look at the data, it's not any better for the environment. In some cases, it's worse. And it's way more expensive and it's unreliable. Domestic natural gas and energy independence is it is the linchpin to the prosperity that our society has. Access to affordable, abundant energy drives everything else. Your quality of life, the economy, uh, recreation, everything you do is touched by fossil fuels and we can do it. We, we, the industry has proactively gotten cleaner. It's gotten better. We've worked in Colorado with the COGCC for decades to institute leading edge regulation on our own industry to make sure that we're doing things the best and cleanest way possible. Is there still work to be done? Absolutely. We want to, again, and the purpose of Energy Strong is to engage those communities, engage uh, uh the industry and the communities together to find solutions to problems that we can solve, not ban things, not force people to use stuff they don't want. And that is at its essence what it's about. Yeah. All right. We better wrap up here. A little uh, summary of energy strong, how people can donate support and buy some merchandise, sir. Sure. www.energystrong.com would be the best place for information on our mission, latest merchandise, industry news our facebook page energy strong uh look it up um we've also got several states that have sub chapters and we've got a presence on instagram and linkedin so um huge social media following uh we're at a lot of uh, local and regional events um here in colorado and across the country and and uh if you're interested go ahead and head to our website there's an email link there email one of us and uh, we'll find a way to get you involved. And, and Jason, appreciate the time and all you do for the industry.